Hey there, Team Health Tech. A few weeks ago, we hosted a live webinar with a friend of Talking Health Tech, Dr. Rhonda Collins from Vocera. And with a live audience of attendees on the day, we spoke about how healthcare leaders can help make it easier for frontline healthcare workers to do their jobs more efficiently and effectively. So in this episode of Talking Health Tech, you're going to listen to an interview that I had live with Dr. Rhonda Collins from Vocera about cognitive overload on the front line of healthcare. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation. It was a really engaging one. Attendees were asking questions live and what shaped a really effective and productive conversation that I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of whatever capacity you're in in healthcare. We talked about creating a working environment that focuses on care team safety and well-being and enables staff to function in a more present and focused way so they can provide safe, quality care to their patients. We talked about how cognitive load becomes overload and Dr. Collins outlines a framework for identifying the signs, behaviours and risks of cognitive overload, along with a three-pronged strategy to mitigate administrative and cognitive burdens among clinicians using informatics discipline and technology. So here we go. After the music, you're going to hear a recording of the live webinar that we had. There was no slides or anything, so you don't miss anything by listening to it as audio only. In fact, even if you did attend live and you watched the webinar, I reckon you're still going to get loads out of this session because it's an important topic for all of us in healthcare, especially now. All right, let's make it happen, Team Health Tech. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. All right, what I want you to do is I want you to let me know in the chat or in the Q&A if you can relate to this situation. So you've got this big day planned. You can picture it now. You've got a big day planned, but you didn't get a great night's sleep last night, but that's okay. And you've got to start this important job that you're going to do today, but you get a bit interrupted. You get a phone call or someone walks in and then an alarm goes off and then there's a notification on your arm and on your phone and your anything else you've got going on. And then someone's got something urgent for you to do and then someone else has got something even more urgent to do. But then all of your other priorities have shifted from the day and then something even more urgent comes in, your priorities change and that's it. So that feels like that's my day today. And I'm sure others can relate to that situation too. And in healthcare, that for frontline workers, that's just what you do. That, that could be their life. And in the technology space, we're all about finding solutions. But sometimes people can say that technology can be the cause of a lot of those frustrations and concerns and that noise. And, and those happen because of the tech. So... As, a, as an industry, how can we shift from being the problem to being the solution? And so my guest today, Dr. Rhonda Collins, her life work has, is aimed at improving the lives of nurses, empowering them, amplifying their voices and advancing the profession. And, and in this current climate, in a life still reeling from COVID, we're, we're coming out the back of it, but we're still not out of the woods. You know, this mandate's never been more important. So, so this is a live webinar and it's being recorded for an upcoming episode of the Talking Health Tech podcast. And so we've got attendees that are answering polls and they're asking questions and they're in the chat to help shape the conversation and, and engage in how it goes. So we put a poll in there in the chat or in the little section there for everyone to participate in. It's two questions. One of them is what best describes you. And the other one is on a scale of one to five, how's 2021 going for you? So we've got most people have answered. I'm going to end the poll now. Uh, and so that might've popped up for you. We've got most of us are healthcare providers, 32%, although it's a good, a good split. We've got 32% attendees are healthcare providers. 
21% technology vendors. It's always a bit subjective, that question. I like how other is always, there's a quarter, no one can be defined, can they? They're just a quarter of us as other. So that's, but that is good. Such a diverse group of people attending. The most popular answer on a scale of one to five, how's 2021 going for you? People are sitting in the middle, you know, a three out of five. I don't know what that scale represents exactly, but the three saying that things are are mostly going in the right direction. So no one said that, you know, there are one, which is I'm bored and you need to give me something to do. A couple of people said it's all under control. I'm in the zone. So I definitely want what you're having. Then there was three. Number four is I'm struggling to keep up. Quite a few of us have said that as well, 36%. And, and a couple have said I'm overwhelmed at the, at the, the top end there. So I uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, for those that don't know, don't know Rhonda, she's the chief nursing officer at Vocera where she works closely with nurses and physicians and IT professionals and other hospital leaders around the world to improve the lives of patients, families, and care teams by simplifying workflows and improving clinical communication. So, hey, Rhonda, how are you going? I'm good, Pete. How are you? It's great to be here. I'm amazing. It's great to, to have you on. And thank you for making the time all the way in, in Austin, Texas. So that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's dark outside here, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And so I think we've looking at the chat, quite a few people from Australia, someone from New Zealand, quite a few from New Zealand, actually, different parts of Australia, quite a few in the US. So we've got a good mix of, of everyone attending. So, so thank you for that. Uh, look, Rhonda, I wanted to, to kick things off. And, you know, the title of the session today is all been around, you know, cognitive overload for frontline uh, healthcare workers. So set the scene for us in terms of cognitive overload. What is that defining for us? Basically, cognitive load is the amount of information you can hold in your working memory. And uh, for all of us, our working memory is usually anywhere from eight to 60 seconds. It's not very long. When you do a task over and over where you become an expert on a task, the memory for that task is stored in your long-term memory. So you don't have to exercise any energy to call it up. It's like driving. You know, a lot of that is muscle memory. But when we talk about cognitive load theory, it's being outside a normal situation are overloaded in the current situation that you're in to the point that your short-term memory becomes overloaded. That's where mistakes happen, forgetfulness occurs, and obviously less than ideal outcomes for patients or the caregivers who are working with the patients. I think that all of us are, are tired of the word unprecedented. It's like, I want everything to be precedented from now on. <laughs> and I'm just done with that word. And I think that when we, we look at all of us have really struggled and are probably still struggling with cognitive overload just in the environment that we're living in. I mean, something as simple as buying groceries, right? I mean, normally we just get in our car, we mm. go to the market and we do whatever we need to do. But now you have to have an online, you know, access, you, you use whatever delivery service you have been doing that for the last year or so. It's just everything that we do is requiring a new way of thinking about it. So we're having to work in our short-term memory and that causes an enormous amount of fatigue, which is mm. what all of us are experiencing. Yeah. And, and that's different to burnout or is it similar? It is, it is different in that I, I think that if you allow cognitive overload, there's cognitive burden, then the, the cognitive burden becomes overloaded. The cognitive mm. aspects that you're carrying, you know, your ability to sustain attention, your ability to respond, uh, 
your ability to multitask, all of those things become overloaded. And then that is that gray space in which you make mistakes. If every day someone shows up to work and they're working in that overloaded environment, then it very much can lead to burnout. But and I, I would say that if you've got employees that are already at the stage of burnout, it's, it's, you're almost to the point where it's very difficult to correct what has yeah. happened. You always want to try to recognize the symptoms of it and get in front of that. Yeah, yeah. And so for, for you know, in healthcare specifically, frontline workers, obviously, during the past 12 months or so, mm-hmm. you know, even pre, pre-COVID, that, that would obviously mm-hmm. be uh, a major concern. But I would imagine something like the pandemic has, has fast-tracked a lot oh, of the frontline workers as well. It, yeah, it's seriously exacerbated the problem because we've had nurses that are working in departments and units that there is not their usual muscle memory area of working. They're taking care of patients with symptoms and issues uh, that they have never seen before or they're not comfortable with. And so what happens is they're constantly working in that, you know, having to think about every move they make and having to think about what they need, having to look for the numbers they need to call, the physicians or consultants they need to work with, all of those that are not just part of their everyday knowledge. They have to look for it and then they have to store it and then they have to look for it and then they have to store it. And so it's that constant flexing between novice to expert, novice to expert, novice to expert, absolutely exhausting our workforce. It's making it where, you know, when you show up for work and you don't really know what you're going to experience, it can be very stressful. Yeah, that is hard. So in terms of then, Rhonda, the, the conversations that you've had with nurse leaders and, and you know people on the ground, whether it's in the US or a- anywhere around the world, what's been the vibe of the pulse check in the real world on a day-to-day? You know, it, it may be very similar from the US to Australia and New Zealand, but I, I would say that, you know, it, we were really working in a fight or flight mode for, for many, many months, just caring for the patients and trying to utilize the resources that we had. We had a shortage of PPE. And now, while we are not always struggling with a shortage of PPE, we're still struggling with the reality that nurses are having to work in full PPE for very long shifts and very long periods of time. And I think most nurse leaders and educators, the biggest concern is how does a workforce sustain this level? You know, how do you sustain this level of constantly being on the edge or being prepared or expecting the unexpected, all of those things that you have to Mm do? One of the caveats of cognitive burden or cognitive load is category formation or recognizing symptoms that go into a particular symptom set that you're aware of. And what happens with cognitive load is it goes from this is something I recognize to this is something I don't recognize. And now I'm expending all this energy trying to figure out exactly where this goes and how do I take care of this patient. I've been volunteer vaccinating in my county here in Austin, and I was working with a a young nurse about a month ago. She was vaccinating on the other side of my, my pod that I was working in, and we had a few moments to talk. And I asked her where she worked, and she said, I'm, I don't work in the hospital anymore. 
And I asked her how long she worked in the hospital, and it was less than a year from graduating from a very prestigious nursing school here in Texas. And I, we had to get back to work. And a little while later, I asked her, why did you leave the hospital? And she looked at me and she said, I will never go back. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I want to know why. And she told me that she said, every time I showed up for work, I had no idea what was going to be in that ICU. I would put on the PPE and I felt like I was on an island. I felt like that I couldn't call people that I needed to call. I didn't know what numbers I needed to call. I didn't know how to manage the patients and contacting the physicians because I wasn't exactly sure who was on call. And there was no one to ask. There was no one to reach out to. She said it was the most emotional experience of my life. And I never felt like I was doing a good job. And then she looked at me again and she said, I will never go back. And so I was very disturbed by her response. And I thought, this is exactly what I've been talking about forever in cognitive burden. And when you you load people up like that for for such long periods of time, that is sustained and unrelieved and not allowing, you know, the conversation or the tools that they need. There's so many things that we can do to alleviate cognitive burden. And that's, you know, that's the space that I work in to try to say, How can we take things that are everyday normal and useful to us and then use that as a way to relieve burden as an example is a smartphone or wearables to carry information and give information back to you. All of those things, because we know how to use it. It's in our muscle memory now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody can text, yeah, but yeah. Can you do it where it's it's protecting the patient or it's it's the privacy rules around it are, are appropriate and all of those. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I look at is just, you know, how do we take what we normally have and how do we use that to alleviate the cognitive load. You said at the very beginning something that I thought was very interesting in that people normally think technology adds to cognitive burden. Mm. It's a little counterintuitive to say that technology can relieve that burden. But Mm. honestly, if you look at it, just think about your own personal smartphone. How many times do you wake up in the morning when you wake up and you know exactly what your day holds for you? Yeah. You don't, you know, one of the first things you do is pick up your phone and you look at Outlook or whatever calendar you use, your Google calendar or your- Oh man, if it's not in the calendar, it's not going to happen. Exactly. So that, and you know what that does when you look at that, it uh, it relieves your cognitive load. You just are thinking, oh, what is today and what is this bringing me? Now you think about, you know, folks who go in in unpredictable spaces like healthcare, Hmm. they don't not everything's scheduled. There's not always an appointment, you know, Mm -hmm. people show up in the emergency department and that's how it is. And so that's, that's what I'm talking about is taking the technology that alleviates our burden in our everyday personal lives and applying it to healthcare. Yeah, got it. Hey, while we were, we were chatting, we saw um, uh, Melanie drop a, a message in the chat asking, have you seen this in nurses who work agency shifts in different areas, for example, acute care to aged care? Absolutely. A- absolutely. I think that agency nurses are uh, certainly a different breed in how they can cope. I There's a There's the other debate that's raging is resilience innate or is it taught, but there are some people who can sustain it for a longer period of time than others, but eventually that, that load and that, that uncertainty definitely starts to wear 
on the individuals, yeah. no matter. And so thinking about then some of those strategies that we can adopt, whether you're on the front line, whether you're a nurse in, in healthcare or, or, or anyone really, what, what strategies can you adopt to alleviate some of these issues? Well, I think to do that, you have to understand that there's three different ways to look at cognitive burden. I mean, there's the intrinsic, which is what you and I have every day. It's that that we carry every day. I, I call it the, the rucksack or the backpack that you can't mm. take off. I mean, it's you may have an ill child, you may have an elderly parent you care for, you know, you may have financial difficulties, it just goes with you. That's, mm -hmm. and, and so you always have to tuck that away. And sometimes that becomes a priority. So it takes up more of your short term memory and more of your space that you have to deal with. The second thing is extrinsic. And that's actually what the environment delivers to you. And so when I, I talk to nurse executives who look at staffing, who look at patient mix, patient population mix, or look at um, the culture of the hospital, that is the extrinsic world that delivers uh, cognitive burden to those who work in that environment. It's, it's the environment that they function in. And then there's germane, which is how I respond to that environment. And so you can see if all three of those buckets are full, my response might not be as measured or as calm or as thoughtful as it would be if perhaps any one of those buckets, the cognitive burden is lower. Mm -hmm. You know, I have less to worry about on my intrinsic side. So I, when I talk to nurse leaders, I talk about if all of a sudden you have folks working who are making mistakes or they're difficult to work with, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're difficult to get along with, you know, it's difficult to understand why all of a sudden they're different. There is a reason for that. And I think that more than ever, we have to show kindness and patience and just take a moment to say, are you all right? Is there anything I can do for you? Because I think it's, when I look at, at nurses who are working in these environments, if you give them five minutes every hour to go collect themselves, but they come back to the same chaotic environment, it's just not going to do any good. You know, it's that, yeah. that flip-flop roller coaster. So I think that we have to look at the environment that delivers the load. And I think building on that too, you know, and being able to to speak to other people, that the, the communication side of things, you know, when you need to know what you need to do, obviously communication is a really important piece. And, and and we've spoken before on the podcast too about the importance yeah. of communication tools and, and the important role they play in relation to cognitive overload. But tell us a little bit more about, about that and your thoughts on it. You know, I'll, I'll just be honest with you in that I have discovered that a lot of times we want to blame the individuals for, you know, their response. We want to blame the individual because they're not resilient. We want to blame mm. them because they, you know, they're just not coping well with the changes in the work environment. But the truth of the matter, it's the work environment that's causing the overload. It's the work environment that's causing the burnout. Mm. So I think that we have to wade into that storm. And, and we have to address it and just go in and say, if you think about the last 12 hour shift that you work, what was, were the one or two things that made it really difficult to do your job? And I've done that. I've asked that question. And it's always surprising to me that how simplistic the answers are. I can't find the people I need to find. I spend half of my day looking up numbers or just trying to find people. I, I don't know who to call. I don't know the protocol for this. It, this isn't readily available. So I, I think that what we need to do is really become students and masters of the environment 
because it's all about alleviating the confusion and, and the annoyance of the environment that, that creates this cognitive load. Mm. And so I guess building on that too, you know, a question came through on the chat. I'll, I'll summarize when, when you've got a clinician who's, I guess, under the pump, that's not the words used, but the, you know, with cognitive burden uh, and they are, the information is available to them within a hospital setting, but they've, they've missed it or they're focusing on other things. They're, they're overloaded. So as an executive, like you want to help and you want to be able to provide it, but, but you've, you know, the message isn't getting through whether it's because they're too busy to, to receive the phone calls or the emails or the posters that you've got, you know, how do you, you actually get that message through? And that's a great question. And I, I would say that, first of all, I want to recognize that the, the executives and the nurse leaders who are trying to create a better environment for the nurses who are working are actually suffering under the same cognitive load and burden that the staff is. Yeah. And so, I, I, I mean, they, they're not immune from it. They're, they're going through the same thing. I guarantee you they're not staying awake at night saying, you know, how can I add to somebody's cognitive burden? They're losing yeah. sleep every night thinking, how do I make this better? And how, what can I do to make it where these employees want to come to work and they feel like they're doing meaningful work? And when they leave, they don't feel like they've just, they've done it halfway. So I, I would say, again, we have to wade into that storm. And sometimes that feedback is, is very uncomfortable. But just simply asking the question, what would make this better? What made today hard and what would make it better? And allowing them to have that voice. When I, I talked to a group of nurses, there were about 130 nurses that filled out a survey here in the United States. And number one was, I, we want you to ask us, just ask us what works and what doesn't work. And then, you know, then it went into things like workplace violence and solving for those, the things that are always weighing and taking up cognitive space when they come to work. Am I yes. going to get sick? Am I going to get hurt? And will I get to go home to my family tonight mm -hmm. in the same condition that I left them this morning? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really important. Well, thank you for that question that came through. You know, thinking about the longer term effects then of, of cognitive overload, we've, we've talked a little bit about the, you know, being able to solve for a particular problem right now. What are some of the, the longer term effects that, that you're aware of? You know, I would say nearly everything that wears on the clinicians in the workspace has to do with fractured communication, whether that's just talking to people or whether it's digital, you know, with texting or with the electronic health record or whatever it is, it has to do with managing information and then communicating that information appropriately into the pro proper person. I was working in Australia at a hospital in Victoria and I was looking at, one of the things I was looking at as I was surveying the hospital was culture of communication. And it was, each individual hospital has a culture of communication, but what is also very enlightening is that every department within the hospital has a different culture of communication. And you can walk into the ED and they'll, they'll say, well, this is the protocol we go by. It's not really written down, but this is how we do it. And then you mm. go to the ICU and they say, oh no, you start here and you do this and you do that. So you can imagine when you start moving staff around the hospital, how confusing that can be and what a burden that will create. Because again, you're, you're taking people from, well, I work in the ED normally, so I'm an expert in understanding our own little culture here. 
but now I'm in ICU and now I'm a novice. And so I have this weight of trying to remember what I'm supposed to do. So the number one thing you need to do is look for everything that is causing wear and tear on your, your clinicians. You know, just what is just like wearing the tread off? You know, is it, is it that everybody's using disparate ways to communicate? Every department has a different communication culture. Are nurses and physicians able to easily contact each other? Are call sheets one piece of paper that everybody has to chase all day long on their shift? You know, those sort of things. Look for technologies that can carry the burden of memory. My best example of this, again, is your phone. If you say I have a new appointment at a new address that I've never been to before, I don't commit that address to memory. I don't even look it up anymore. The day of the appointment, I press it, I just tap it on my phone and plug it in. And the nice little lady inside my phone talks me to that address. And so I, you know, I have released my burden of memory. My cognitive load is fairly light because I don't have to worry about it. She, I know that she's going to get me there. So why can't we use that same, that same function in the hospital? So you can have medical devices that send notifications to the nurse when they need them. Mm. You can have, you know, electronic call lists. So the nurse will know who to call. And perhaps you don't even know the name, but you can just say, call the cardiologist on call. And, and the software then will find that individual for you. That's what I mean by carrying the burden of memory, enable the nurse to record reminders to themselves to say, you know, take Mr. Smith's blood pressure in 15 minutes, or if someone's having blood administered, those sort of things. So I don't have to try to store all of that in an already overloaded environment. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, you know, you just have to keep the essential information with the clinician. Don't, require it to sit at a desk or in a repository of an EHR nurse mobile. Yeah. I think we've, I see that Fiona's Fiona Fitzgerald has asked a question, which I think we've spoken to, to some of those points, but just if, if anything else comes to mind, like what would be the top three things that you would recommend to the nurse leadership teams to focus on, to address cognitive burden and burnout? I think some of the things you've mentioned already might be helpful, but what what else would you build? I I got three. Let me give her four or five here. (laughs) I think um, Fiona, I think I would look at understanding that Documentation is not an all-in solution for nurses in managing their information. That is something that comes up a lot in my conversations is understanding that urgent communication is a totally different strategy than a documentation strategy. And I know all of us have spent a lot of time on EHRs and getting that right. And we're still refining that. And we learned a lot with COVID about documentation that frankly, we just didn't need because we didn't have time to deal with it. That's Mm -hmm. actually what happened. And so a lot of us are revising our assessments and our drop-down boxes and all of those things. But also through COVID, we realized that we have to be able to communicate urgently and be able to communicate even while wearing PPE. And so that's, that's led to a lot of conversations about wearables and the ability to function in the clinical environment with very user-friendly devices and software. Yeah. You know, I, I think about the phone, the amount of 
iterations I've gone through in trying to best use my phone as a tool to be able to be my second brain. I think that there's been a lot of trial and error that I've gone through in my life. And then it's interesting going into then say, applying that to a, like, I love this dynamic and where we're going just generally with technology, where the tools that we're using as consumers in our personal life are more and more, you know, drawing or influencing or inspiring, say, you know, the tools that we use within our work life, because many years ago, the tools that you use within, you know, work were very much about, you know, getting work done. They weren't nice to look at or like whether they're technology or not, it's just like the functional, like A to be in the most efficient way. Whereas now technology, you know, all the tools we use, whether in an office environment, whether wherever you are, it's much, you know, easier to use. You can pick it up and hopefully you can use it um, for the first time and kind of get it. Like me not working within a, a healthcare kind of frontline setting, you know, I I might take it for granted sometimes where within an office environment, I could use my own phone while I'm doing some work or I could use my own personal stuff. But I would imagine in a hospital setting, you you, you obviously can't do that. So, I mean, how have you found the gap between the tools that exist within a hospital and how close they are to what people are actually used to using on a day-to-day? Well, you know, I I actually talk about this quite a bit because a millennial nurse can sit in the parking lot or the car park. What do you, what do you, (laughs) we know what, we know what a parking lot is, but yeah, (laughs) I just want to use the proper terminology. (laughs) I appreciate it. That's nice. Sit in their vehicle and, you know, basically they can use their smartphone to order dinner for the evening, pay the babysitter, whatever, uh, you know, payment app they have. They can talk to family and friends. They can take pictures. They can do whatever. And then they put that in their pocket and they go into work. And I will guarantee you that some of these people listening in right now, there's still fax machines in their hospitals. They're still wearing unidirectional pagers for communication. And, you know, one department uses this kind of a phone or one department uses this kind of device or, or whatever. And so someone who has a device that makes their life very simple in their personal life has to put that away and go to work in the hospital. Hmm. So that's what I say we have to do is look at what simplifies our personal lives and how do we translate that to the hospital to keep patient information safe and secure? Because basically what happens is people create workarounds that aren't the proper thing to do. Like texting, I guarantee you, your nurses and physicians are texting patient information Mm. (laughs) on their personal phones. I'm Mm. just going to, I'm going to guarantee that. (laughs) And so what you have to look at is, you know, how do we secure that information properly? What are the solutions to allow us to do that? I saw in the poll, you know, there was a a decent proportion of attendees to, to this session were technology vendors as well. So I guess the industry, and I saw a question that's just come through too, which was how can, and actually it's not just about technology providers, but it's got how can external program providers working with health staff strike a balance of adding to their workflow, for example, the clinical trial recruitment, patient support programs without contributing to this cognitive burden? So I will tell you that when I did my research for my doctorate, I did it just looking at how do nurses assimilate technology at the bedside. That's what I really wanted to understand was mm-hmm. how does it how does it work? 
and what will they use and what will they abandon? Because all of us who have invested in technology solutions or in different processes in the hospital have spent lots and lots of money and sometimes or frequently it's not all the way utilized or it's abandoned. And so I, I wanted to understand how do we prevent that happening? And so in the data that I collected and asking nurses, you know, what would cause you to adopt technology in your, in your practice, in your nursing practice? And the primary thing that they said was it has to fit within the context of my work. Now, one of the questions was, it has less than five clicks, because we've all been convinced in clinical informatics that it has to have less than five clicks or nobody's <laughs> going to do it. And, and that, that one question scored so low, it was not even statistically relevant. Oh, it, it was completely irrelevant. And then uh, the second one that I expected to score higher was it's easy to use. That one was next to the lowest and being statistically irrelevant. Hmm. The number one criteria was it has to fit within the context of my work. In other words, you can't force me to create workarounds or, you know, if, if it takes yeah. both of my hands to care for a patient, I need communication devices that allow me to be hands-free. If I have to move a patient through a system, then I need beds that easily move or technology that will digitally move the patient so they can follow. So all of these phone calls don't have to be made and all of those sort of things. So that was, that was actually enlightening to me. I did not expect that to be number one, yeah. but some of the nurses, I had a place for free and open comments. And basically they said, if I have to figure out another way to do it, or another department is doing it a different way, then I can't sustain it. It takes too much of my time and too much of my work. And so again, I've gone back to how do we standardize the very basic things like communication? Mm. I mean, communication powers everything. If you think about it, it really does. And so I'm, I'm continuing to study that still over the next year. Hmm, very cool. I saw it wouldn't have come up for everybody who are attending live in the webinar because we've currently got the chats just sent to panelists. That was probably my mistake. I apologize. I, I probably should. It was my cognitive load was was too high before this webinar, obviously. But the, <laughs> you are working under a higher cognitive load. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm in it right now. But Michelle <laughs> Jenkins has shared, it's just a comment, which I think just resonates with what you've mentioned, where she said, always collaborate with staff that will actually use the technology who are on the floor doing the jobs. It's a simple concept, but not done enough. So I think that's, that's I reasonable and agree with that. Hui Hui Lan has mentioned, uh, has, has asked a question, uh, interesting one just about, have you got any thoughts around mindfulness as a, a, a tool to be able to assist with cognitive overload? I think that anything that anyone can do as far as mindfulness or taking a, a mental break or, you know, excusing yourself from the environment for a few minutes, all of those things are really essential to managing an ever rising cognitive load. All of us have tricks. I, when I'm getting ready to take a stage and speak and I can feel, you know, I'm going through my opening comments because I always feel like if you can nail the opening comments, you've got the rest of it, you know? Oh. <laughs> and so I'm always going through that in my head, but I have a technique I use to reduce my cognitive load, which is I count backwards from five, five, four, three, two, one. And it, it calms my mind. It's just mindfulness. It's just mm -hmm. an exercise to calm 
and focus me. And so I think anything that you can do that allows you to function with clarity is a great thing to do. I, I will tell you where the rub comes is if I take five minutes and I go do that, but then I have to come back into the same chaotic environment mm -hmm. with the same chaotic workload, I, it, pretty soon all that serenity just disappears. Yeah. So people can't do that multiple times a day and, and sustain their ability to work. So that's why I say allow people to do that because it's important. But at the same time, we have to be addressing the work environment and how can we improve that environment around them. You know, mm. uh, if, if you can, uh, usually if you can alleviate the top two or three things that are creating chaos, you can uh, relieve a significant percentage of the frustration. Yeah. I mean, healthcare essentially is chaos. If you know anything about the chaos theory, it, it is basically that everything is in motion and chaotic and it's, it doesn't have any rhyme or reason, but there is always a thread of organization that goes through the chaos, hmm. always. And so I look at healthcare like that. You, you can't predict it. It's like you don't know what's coming through the door. Hmm. You don't know what's going to happen. But there is a core of organization that runs through it. It's, it's how we function. Yeah, no, um, perfect. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Um, Ella has asked in the chat, how has telehealth impacted the cognitive load of frontline workers? Interestingly enough, to some degree, it has increased it because you're working in an environment where you can't see, touch, smell the, your patient, and it has caused us to have to rely on senses that we, we had not uh, relied on before. In other words, you have to ask more probing questions. You mm -hmm. have to have a deeper history because again, you have to ask follow on and follow on and follow on questions to be able to work with those patients. I think just those, everyone on this call has spent a lot of time on Zoom or, you know, Teams or whatever is their platform that they work on. And that has created a significant cognitive burden. I mean, because what's the first thing you do when you get ready to sign on to Zoom? Oh, I hope the link works. Mm. My internet, my Wi-Fi is unstable today. I'm having problems with that. Or, what you know, what does my background look like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does my background look like? Are the dogs barking? Are the children <laughs> crying? And I mean, there's all of these things that all of us have just been working under this very high level of cognitive attention and cognitive mm. load. And uh, it's caused, actually, there's a word for it now. It's called Zoom fatigue. And you've probably mm. read about it. I mean, people are experiencing Zoom fatigue and that is nothing but cognitive overload. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. So you think about how you manage it in your own life and what do you do to alleviate that is you just have to take breaks from it or you find new ways to do it. Or, you know, you lock the dogs outside so you can be assured that they won't bark <laughs> and ruin your presentation. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that we do. Yeah. But, you know, on, on a greater scale, you look at the clinicians in the hospital, that's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with this mm -hmm. cognitive load of the unexpected always coming through the door. Or, you know, the, the equivalent of the Wi-Fi is unstable. You know, the tools that they're using are not reliable or the protocol is not reliable. Mm. And I usually say, you know, if, if a protocol could fix everything, everything would be fixed because we've all got a protocol. 
Everybody's got a protocol. If you look at workplace violence, we've all got a protocol, but we still have problems with it. And we still have clinicians getting hurt. And so, you know, we need to find ways where they have instant accessibility to security or coworkers or anyone like that, you know, with panic buttons and allow them to do that because that... That is a reassurance and that is a shedding of a cognitive load to know I, I have the reassurance that I have something keeping me safer. Mm. Makes so much sense. The, but the, the irony of talking about Zoom fatigue whilst on a Zoom call was not lost on me, but that's okay. But yet we've got alternative ways that people can access this webinar too. So it, like yeah. there's only 13 minutes left. I appreciate there's still quite, there's people joining as we're, as we're speaking to. So thank you those that have uh, attended. If you missed the first half, you will be able to watch back the replay and it will be available as a podcast on audio too. So you can listen while you're doing something else. There's an opportunity still to ask questions. I can see some coming through now. I, I did have a question come in, Pete. It's should evaluation of change focus on the impact of the changing systems at least as much as the outcome? And the answer is absolutely yes. I think we have to look at how do you prepare, you know, how do you prepare for the change and manage through the change to get the desired outcome that you want. Because frequently when I talk to hospitals about looking at uh, implementing, you know, what, what Vocera does, it's like, well, we've just gone through this big EHR change and we've done this and we've done that. And my recommendation is to always bite off what you can chew. You can eat an elephant one bite at a time, but mm -hmm. just take what you, you can and then build onto that and build onto that. And everything has to be done purposefully. You can't, you know, one of the greatest mistakes you can make is, for example, everybody has a smartphone, everybody knows how to use it. But when you're putting it into an environment in which it doesn't normally function, there has to be training, there has mm -hmm. to be thoughtfulness about how it's used and all of those things. So there, there does have to be preparation. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. The We'll go with the final question and then any other questions people want to ask, they can, they can put those into. I can see another couple that have come through, but then for everyone, the, you know, what they should be doing from here after watching this, this webinar or listening to this podcast, what would be your advice to them? Well, I, I would say take a moment of mindfulness to shed your cognitive load from being on Zoom. You take a break <laughs> after this one. Yeah. No, you know, I, I think that what we have to do is always evaluate around us what is in this environment that is adding to the workload mm. is adding to the cognitive load of cognitive load theory. Let me just say that it, it's actually a science that was studied in education and, and it was to understand why, you know, 40 students can sit in a classroom, five will make one hundreds all the time. Five will flunk every test and then the rest of them would be somewhere on you know in the middle and when they have the same instructor with the same information delivered in the same way in the same environment and that all has to do with the cognitive load of how they show up and so while you know as a boss or a leader you can't always control what goes on in personal lives 
you can control what goes on in the environment and does it add to the cognitive burden? Does it cause people to have to go back and forth between novice and expert? Does it cause people to have to carry an undue amount in their memory? Hmm. What can you allow technology to carry as memory? How can you keep the clinician mobile? Do you force them to go back to a data source or can you send data to them while they're on the move? I, I always say there's absolutely nothing that's mobile about a mobile device except the user. And so what we have to keep mobile is the user and allow them to work from wherever they are so they can reduce that need to seek out and find information. Yeah. So, so a couple of questions that come through okay. that one specifically for is anything, any specific considerations or something different we should have for surgical front frontliners? You know, I think surgical frontliners are interesting in that, you know, their, their environment predominantly works off of being on time because surgeons don't like for their cases to, to start late. And if they start late, it causes everybody in that theater to be late for the day. And so I think that one of the things that really does relieve a load is look at all of the things that cause um, slow turnover time of the theater, reduces the frequency of on-time starts. Look at tightening that up and what what is the primary thing that's causing that to fall off? Is it because you know, you have folks that are not adhering to the schedule or is it because it's not being communicated properly or is it because the teams cannot be assembled easily? All of those things and look what you can do to alleviate the load that way. Yeah, I love it. Someone's put a, a, a comment, but I think it's a, a valid point that's raised and, and, I'll, and I'll talk more about it. It's the, they've mentioned that, you know, Zoom's created work overload where teaching 180 students at one time is a different parts of what it's just is what you do in education but then there's more and more pressure to teach more and more people through the platform because you can i guess i'm starting to, to re rephrase the, the question here but then that's putting that load on so it's an interesting point around you know the technology can enable you know this concept of infinitely scalable services in in an industry or, or an environment where we're still providing healthcare to people and I guess that's, you know, the allure of finding something that allows you to be more efficient than from a, you know, a management perspective or, or even just anyone, like even your own personal desires to be able to deliver more with less can, can be driven. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to kind of find that balance. Once we have the tools and the capability to address some of these issues, then how do we make sure we don't fill that void with something else and, and create more of a, an issue? You know, I think it's interesting in that I, I think most of us, our lives are going to be pre-COVID and post-COVID because things have changed so much. But I think we were all able to cope with changes, but the unprecedented amount of change, just like what this attendee talked about, trying to teach so many students in a virtual environment and how that it's the disruptions to your education pattern and the disruption to the learner is creating an excessive cognitive load. I mean, I've watched my 12-year-old grandson just sob because he, he said, I, I just don't want to sit in front of this computer anymore. Mm. And, and it's, it's nothing but cognitive overload. That's what yeah. it is. And, and so what we have to do is look for ways that we can alleviate that as much as we can. But it, it's very, very difficult 
any novel situation creates a cognitive load on our brains. And I think that we have all experienced brain fog because of it. And certainly we need to use the resources, the technologies, and the operational efficiencies allowed to us to improve that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rhonda. I don't see any other questions in the chat, but I will close things out and summarize. I really appreciate you making the time, especially in the time zone that you're in. And that's uh, been helpful. I know we've got a, a good mix of attendees from different backgrounds and experience. And there's been some good questions that have come through in the session today. For anyone that missed part of it or all of it, then the recording will be available to watch, but also to listen to as a podcast a bit later on. And if you do want to check out more information from Vocera, there's information on the Talking Health Tech website as well as vocera.com. And there'll be other information which we can send out after the session as well to everybody who registered if you're interested as well. So thank you everyone who attended. Rhonda, was there anything final that you wanted to close out with or, or make a comment about? I, I have a new paper coming out on cognitive burden and dealing with some of the issues that we face. It will be coming out the second week of May or so. Thanks. So um, look for that on all my social channels. Then we can time- talk about yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think the timing of the, the podcast episode will work pretty well with, with that too. So we'll make sure that is okay. included with the with the podcast okay. when it comes out. So All right. Wonderful. Well. Thank you. Excellent. And we've got three minutes left until, you know, the, the end. So we all need to get outside, even if it's nine o'clock at night in Texas, <laughs> but just be be safe and then come back and be less cognitive load. So there you go. Thank you. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, all right. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.